listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Here's the stat that really, really strikes me uh, as a problem for Atlanta. And we've been talking about how the supporting cast isn't great, but let's divvy it up to the starters and the bench. So Atlanta yesterday, there's a concept in NBA called plus minus. And it's real simple. When you're on the court, how does the team do? And if you score more points than the opponent, you have a plus number. And if you score less points, you have a minus number. So Trey Young was plus 10 in the game. So when he was on the court yesterday, the Hawks scored 10 more points than their opponent. The four other starters for Atlanta all had a plus number, right? Plus 15, plus 12, plus 8, plus 8, and Trey Young had plus 10. So yeah, average it out, the starters were plus 10.6. Okay. Amongst the non-starters, not a single player had a plus number. The non-starters for the Hawks, minus 5, minus 15, minus 12, minus 6. So it averaged a minus 9.5 for those players. So it's not only that Trey Young's the only really good player on the floor amongst the starters. At least yesterday, the backups were so bad, not one of them didn't give away points when he was on the court. When, when a backup stepped on the court, Atlanta was going to be worse off when he left the court, that backup, every time uh, in net over the game. Now, you look at Milwaukee, and this is shocking. Of their non-starters, everyone had, well, none of them had a negative number. One, one had a zero. So every backup for Milwaukee, net-net, improved the score and one, it was even because it was a zero. And amongst the starters, Giannis is the only one with the plus number. Every other starter, including Brooke Lopez, minus 14 points when he was on the floor. And Middleton, minus 13 points. So on Atlanta, you got Trey Young and a bunch of others. But man, you go past the starters, at least yesterday, you were in big trouble. You look at Giannis. He's got supposedly some good running mates. Again, Holiday put up some points, though he was minus three, even though he scored 33. Middleton, okay. But the idea that they were able to go deeper in that bench, Milwaukee, and every time not lose any ground, Jonas, that to me makes Young more impressive, but it makes me skeptical that, they, that he could keep this up. If, if they're going to get outplayed so much other than the starters. Thoughts? Yeah. And I also think that, you know, there could have been, you know, a little bit of a, maybe a letdown from Milwaukee going into this game, just how, how exciting game seven was. And they uh, win Saturday to Wednesday. But it, like, I'm just, I'm thinking of reasons why Milwaukee would have fallen apart, but this is now three series in a row to where we've seen Atlanta when games get late or in the second half or late in the fourth quarter, they just look more comfortable at making plays and the right plays and hitting shots than anybody else does. They looked more comfortable than Philly. They looked more comfortable than the Knicks. And they looked more comfortable last night hitting shots and making plays than Milwaukee did. And all of this on the road. I mean, they were down by seven points with about five minutes left in the game, Atlanta. So, I mean, this was a uh, seesawy game, 13 lead changes. And none of the teams had a double-digit lead at none of the points of the game. There was not a double-digit lead. So a tight game, back and forth. But lo and behold, when the pressure's on, Trey Young delivers. Another thing, even though Atlanta's backups didn't play so well, 
they played a good bit. Trey Young had 41 minutes on the court. Only Atlanta Hawk with more than 37 minutes. But if you look at Milwaukee, a rested team, hadn't played since Saturday. Giannis had 41 minutes. Middleton had almost 41. And Holiday had almost 42. So three guys in the 40s for Milwaukee. I don't know if that's, you know, again, they had a nice little break. But man, oh man. Now, one thing you can't do, we're straight out of Vegas on Fox Sports Radio. What you can't do is say, uh, did you see how uh, 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 Milwaukee shot the three? That, they're not going to shoot the three like that. Okay, you're right. 22% on three-pointers. Atlanta was 25%. So neither team shot well yeah. from three. So if we're going to try to excuse it away by it's a make-or-miss league and they were just missing – well, I mean, to me, it was pretty even in that regard. And it is pretty amazing because a, a macro concept in the NBA, as in big picture league-wide, has been has the, middle, uh, the mid-range game returned. Like Chris Paul, a lot of mid-range. It feels like there's more mid-range than there was last year. Well, if you look at Atlanta, they were 62% on two-pointers. When they shot a two, Jonas, they hit over 60%. And again, mid-range, Trey Young in that floater. Closing thoughts. Yeah, and that was one of the things they pointed out on the broadcast on TNT, that it just felt like he could get in the paint whenever he wants. I think it was Kenny Smith who said, look at the bottom of his shoes. It's probably green at this point because of all the time he spent in the paint. Trey Young was not good from three last night. He was four of 13. So it's not like he was doing what Steph Curry does. He was penetrating, getting to where he wanted to get, and getting that shot in the lane. And he had about the same shooting woes in game seven against Philly. So yes. imagine that game seven against Philly, you're on the road, you shoot like crap and your team still wins and you're kind of a one man team. How does that happen? Maybe he's not a one man team. I just am looking at the box score. I can't figure it out. But then you go to Milwaukee who supposedly unlocked their greatness off that win against Brooklyn and you shoot poorly again and you win on the road again. It's 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 like there's something he's doing that isn't as obvious as it is with other people, how he's helping this team win like this. One last thought. I, I dug into the numbers because my thought was, man, they do better in the second half. Because remember, we remember Philadelphia, second half, they were struggling against Atlanta. I looked at the entire season, and in the first half, first half now, Atlanta's outscored their opponents by – about a half a point in the second half by about two points. So over the course of the season, they outscored their opponents by about two and a half points, but only half of that, uh, one half of a point was in the first half and about two points in the second. So they were a second half team. In the playoffs, it's more about the first quarter. Atlanta's been outscored by over a point in the first quarter, and then they've outscored the teams by about two and a half points from the second quarter on. So something we may look at if we're looking to fade Atlanta in a game is maybe look to play against them in the first quarter because this year and in the playoffs, the early parts of the game, not as good for Atlanta. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. The East specifically, in Milwaukee more specifically, 
is getting a real bum deal when you look at how, not a bum deal, but a wrong assessment when it comes to Colin. Colin says, I look at the West, and that's the clearly the better conference, and clearly these are the A teams. And I look at the East, and oh my gosh, I mean, it's a nice story, but uh, these are clearly secondary teams. These are subordinate teams. These are teams on a lower level. Well, Atlanta is on a lower level, at least that's the perception right now, and I think it's true. And again, if you disagree, you can bet game two, and game two has the Milwaukee Bucks favored by seven and a half points. So home court's worth about two, maybe two and a half at most because of the pandemic and still some of the limitations. So that means the Milwaukee's five points better than Atlanta. But you know who else Milwaukee's better than, according to the batting odds? Better than the Phoenix Suns. If you look at the chance of the teams making the finals, and then you look at the odds to win the finals, the only conclusion, and it is one of deduction, is that the Suns are not as good as the Bucks. Right now, the Suns are even money to win the title. The Bucks are plus 160. 100 wins you 160. Atlanta, even though they're up 1-0, is 6.5 to 1. And the Clippers are 14 to 1. All right, now, the Clippers in Atlanta, it's about, well, about all these teams. What's the chance of them advancing? So you look at the Suns, they've got almost a 90% chance to advance based on the betting odds. And you look at Milwaukee, even though they're down, they got a two-thirds or so chance to advance. You do all the math. It's kind of algebra, eighth-grade stuff. The Bucks, at minimum, are even. Because there's some some subjectivity to how to allot this stuff. But more likely, the Bucks are slightly better. Don't get confused. Phoenix has the home court. So if they do play and they're even teams, Phoenix will be about minus 130, minus 140 in the series. So when you account for that and you look at these odds, I mean, think about it, Jonas. If they, if we knew Milwaukee was there and we knew Phoenix was there, and Phoenix has home court, Phoenix is going to be about minus one forty. So here, Phoenix's own. You know, if you look at the Bucks, they're plus one sixty, and they haven't even got there. So, where do you think they're going to be if they get there? Right? right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be around even money. And now, again, things can change. Right, but uh, someone could get hurt, whatever. But as of right now, the betting market believes Milwaukee isn't a secondary team. Collins, at least objectively, the market disagrees with that, and Milwaukee is as good, if not a little bit better, than Phoenix. What's your gut feeling on that? Well, I mean, Phoenix has been really impressive, uh, and and some people would say, look, when they went down two one to the Lakers, they haven't lost since. So you give them all the credit in the world. But if we're being fair about what Phoenix has dealt with in the in the playoffs so far, um, the Lakers were banged up. Denver had no Jamal Murray and they look completely out of gas. And then the Clippers have no Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, I know Milwaukee played a Brooklyn team that was a little bit banged up themselves, but I I just wonder how much of this is the love for the run the Suns are on and and people just, you know, dismissing Milwaukee because they've seen them struggle so many times in the postseason in previous years. Well, when you say people, we mean not the betting market, though. And um, I'll I'll be honest with you, I think the betting market's had an irrational love for Milwaukee. I mean, entering this year, Milwaukee, Mackenzie, pull up the preseason NBA odds. 
Do you have them? Tell me when you got them. Because to me, this was a big surprise. Because I was trying to assess, and for tomorrow, I'm doing something really interesting, Jonas, is we're going to look at all the playoffs this century, so 2000 on, and we're going to say we're going to rank the teams 1 through 16 based on their betting odds entering the playoffs. Right? So Vegas ranks them 1 to 16. What has been the average quality of team in the Final Four, because our prediction is this might be the most surprising Final Four we've had this century if you look at where Phoenix was, where the Clippers were, where Milwaukee was, and obviously Atlanta. But Milwaukee, if you look at the preseason, is going to surprise you. Give me, uh, read the teams to Milwaukee. So you have the Lakers at plus 350, and then next up is Milwaukee at 4-1 to one preseason odds. So entering this year, Milwaukee was a smidge behind the Lakers, who had just won the title with LeBron, the best player of the century for sure, it goes to show you the betting market never got off of Milwaukee. Yeah, and, and that's we t- a, it's irrational to me. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Jeff. Well, no, I was going to say I remember us talking about it last year, but or before the pandemic, before everything got shut down, and I remember we had the conversation. There might have even been a, a bet on the show to where you know somebody could have Milwaukee, uh, Boston, and I forget the other team, and and Milwaukee was always amongst the favorites. And then last year it was you know if it's not the Lakers or the Clippers, it's Milwaukee that's going to be the team everybody looks at. And then you know they got to the bubble, and it was it was nowhere close to that and you saw what Miami did and you and you saw Milwaukee fall apart so it I don't know if people just took the the you know the the handicap they had on Milwaukee or the expectations they had on them previous to the bubble and just rolled them over into this next year but yeah it, it felt like that for a couple of years now here's what I would say the math guys get befuddled flummoxed when their calculations don't represent reality Meaning, there's obviously something different about Milwaukee in the playoffs. And all of the love of Milwaukee is about the dominating performance they've had in the regular season, especially the prior two years. Right? This year, not as much. And the, the, the math guys, the algo guys, the wonks, as they say, they're just looking, saying, well, the number keeps telling me this. It's like, okay, usually those numbers are right. But at some point, the eye t- or not even the eye test, reality is telling you the numbers are misleading when it comes to Milwaukee in the playoffs. And you might say, RJ, it's small sample size, small sample. Okay, all I know is this. When Simmons, for example, didn't take that shot, Simmons is shooting 33%, Ben Simmons, in the playoffs on field uh, free throws. Does anyone here think there's not a mental element to that? Or when, uh, when Embiid misses two, Late in the game, when you know he's like, uh, what is he? Almost a ninety percent free. I mean, he's way yeah. up there, right? Very yeah, eighty-six percent. We calculated on air, one in five hundred. Yeah, that they, would he, the odds are one in five hundred that Embiid, based on the math, is going to miss two, and he misses two late in the game. But it's a coincidence. We're all humans here, man. And it's and I tell you this: think of the highest stake time you've ever been, right before getting married, you know, whatever. I can remember once. I don't think I've ever told this story. Is when cousin Sal ended up, you know, doing Sports Center for like three or four years. He and I were the two finalists to get that gig, and they flew me into LA. I mean, this is years ago now, uh, you know, like five, six years ago. And I did an entire show from the Sports Center set. It was like a fake show just to see how it would go. And I got to be honest, sitting on that Sports Center set, 
I was not like I was sitting at home. All right, like like the nor- the nerves, the sense of like the stakes are high. Now, did I perform okay? Well, not good enough to get the job, but yeah, I, I I thought. But I can tell you this: I was affected. Now you're telling me that now there's some people who got alligator blood, right? And that's the rarest of the rare. But Jonas, we've talked about this before. Every time you go to another level, doing a, a, a different gig that's higher, there's a time where you're nervous. Well, Milwaukee is nervous in the playoffs, and to me. I think every time they lose a game and every time they get eliminated, they get more and more nervous. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, it's Ben, host of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller, along with my trusty sidekick David Gascon. Would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking, what in God's name is the Fifth Hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of the Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. RJ, we have got Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals coming up later on tonight between the Suns and the Clippers. Tip-off a little over two hours away. And Phoenix already up one, two games to none, have a one-and-a-half point, or the one-and-a-half point betting favorite right now on pregame.com, rather. Phoenix, the road favor. Now, Mackenzie, what do we have for the first half on this? Clippers are one-and-a-half point favorites at the Westgate right now. Now, think about this. Why, why are we making a distinction first half, second half? Because the math tells us, historically, when a team is down 0-2, history tells us that they play particularly well in Game 3. It's a must-win, perceived to be. But as time went on and people dug deeper, they realized, you know, that edge, that edge really was weighted to the beginning of the game. And the reason being... The team itself is excited to get ready and make a statement. They're finally in front of their home fans because they had to play two games without their home fans, and now they're down 0-2. And the home fans want to show their support. Okay. So what smart bettors ended up doing was they wouldn't bet the Clippers for the game. They were betting the Clippers in the first half in this scenario. Well, you know what? The betting market catches up. That's what it does. It catches up. And now, think about this. This is the most extreme version of this I've seen. Is you've got the Clippers favored by one and a half points in the first half, and the Suns favored by one and a half for the game. So literally, you're saying that there's a th- that, that that the score that we're going to expect in the first half is Clippers to win and the score we're going to expect for the game is Phoenix to win. Jonas, when have you ever seen something like that? I mean, that's that is unique. Yeah, it's a little strange. I I mean, if that's the case, wouldn't you before the game started look to bet Phoenix second half just based on how the the number has moved right before the game? Uh, so say it one more time. Well, like, wouldn't you just like, if you see that the line they're saying that the Clippers are going to win the first half, but Phoenix is expected to win the game. Wouldn't you look to before the game if bet, there's a, a oh, second yeah. half? So, 
So typically they don't have second half bets before the game because they have halftime bets when the game happens. But if they did, it would have to add up. So imagine what it's saying is Phoenix would be minus three in the second half. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Minus one and a half, minus three is what they're saying. Clippers minus one and a half first half. And Phoenix minus three second half. That's the only way you get to one and a half. I'm just doing a little, you know, a little math right now. <laughs> now, here's where my best bet is, and we're going to take advantage of this. I believe we have a confluence of events that makes the home advantage for the Clippers here less, less, less than you might think. Number one, what's new about the Suns? Oh, look, daddy's home. Chris Paul is back. And could you imagine that he's finally back? I don't care how, if he's a little bit, you know, less than 100%. That's not even the handicap. It's how excited is Chris Paul to be back, potentially a couple, if they win this game, almost a lock to make his first finals. Do you think he's going to let that team be a little lackadaisical? Because the whole zigzag theory has two sides to it. One team's more motivated. One team is lackadaisical. Typically a team down 2-0 is motivated. Typically a team that's up is lackadaisical. I don't think the Suns are going to be lackadaisical because I don't think Chris Paul will allow them to be. This is what's fresh and new and novel about it. That's something championship teams like to do is make one change, even you know a major change, though, because even if it feels like, oh, maybe that's a kind of a lateral move, there's no, but at least there's another player in there that's never won a championship. There's a sense of excitement. It's a sense of let's get one for this guy. Well, Chris Paul's back. They, he wasn't here for the first two games. So the idea that Phoenix is going to be lackadaisical, forget about it. They're not going to be. And you know what? The Clippers have been down... 2-0, 2-0, or 0-2, however you want to say it, two straight series. So this is old hat for them. So to whatever degree they want to win the game, which they do, I don't think there's going to be that fever pitch because it's the third time around. Jonas, if you ever get married for a third time, you think it's going to be quite the same? No, the I won't same? be as nervous, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, you might be more nervous. If you're 0 for 3, I don't know why that would make you optimistic. But again, you're 1-0 and right now. So, you know, that's a hypothetical. But So here's the bet. Here's the bet. Here's the bet. I'm going with the Suns plus 1.5 in the first half. If I'm saying I don't trust this system, I don't trust this scenario, then I want to go right into the teeth of it and get my point. I have the team favored here, getting points in the first half, and the only reason that would make any sense is if the Clippers are so motivated and the Suns aren't, but the Suns will be. Best bat, Suns plus one and a half in the first half. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 